Welcome to Creator Upload, your creator economy podcast. I'm Lauren Schnipper. And I'm Joshua Cohen. Lauren. Yes. You've been gallivanting all around the Southwest. Uh, yeah, I've been in Vegas, Josh. I have been in, I've been in Vegas a lot this year. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. And it's not yeah. because of any addiction or... <laughs> I didn't know the details. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. I've been keeping some secrets from you. How do you feel about that? I'm like at once disappointed, but also proud. Thank you. Thank you. I think <laughs> it's good to know that you can keep stuff from me. I can be trusted. Yeah, it makes me trust you more. Yeah, no, I know. I feel like this is like all what at the end of the day, really what it was all about. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in Vegas, Josh. That's OK, so question. tell us about your latest secret. It's not a secret anymore. It is not. And it's not. In fact, it was exclusively came out on Tube Filter today. We're recording this on Thursday. Jelly Smack has acquired a company called Network Media. Network Media is a high-growth creator development and content company founded by Rick Lax, who's also a magician. We are very excited about it. And yeah, I've been there. I've been working on this deal for like the better part of six months. And what Rick has built is basically a community where he sort of finds folks that really were not creators at all before. Perhaps they were entertainers. There's a lot of magicians. Rick is a magician. A lot of like former Cirque du Soleil folks, like you can imagine the people that like kind of, you know, are the entertainers uh, sort of in Vegas and sort of teaches them how to create content. And I didn't really believe it at first. I was like, so what's the criteria? And they're like, he's just like just a willingness to do this. I'm like, yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. And it turns out it does. What I struggle to completely be able to, I think, explain about it, even though I've, I've really tried, is the thriving community that he has built of folks that encourage each other, that learn from each other, that collaborate with each other, that get together once a month to do something called Notes Night, where they go over every video in the community and how it's done and the good and the bad and the ugly and analyze it and learn from each other. It reminded me of what I think the YouTube spaces wanted to be. I remember the original pitch for it was like, okay, what TRL was back in the day. You were going to like run into people in the hallways and they were going to, you know, back in the day they would do like albums together. And that was kind of the idea of, you know, the YouTube spaces. And it really kind of didn't end up being that. It was too big. It was too much. It offered a lot of good services and, and you know, spaces for people to create, but it didn't have that, didn't foster this community that I think was the ultimate goal. And he's done that. And he has a production space. It is not <laughs> as big and grand as the YouTube space at all, but, you know, it's, it's pretty big. It's got different sets. You've got a hospital in the you know, things double, you know, as different things. You've got an outdoor, like a club. You've got something that could be like a school, like tons of props, tons of wigs, like all these things. It is just remarkable. And um, yeah, we just, we closed the deal like a week ago and I've just been in Vegas last few days, like kind of, you know, we're starting the integration process and uh, that's what I've been doing. That is awesome. Congrats. And so just, I'm going to pepper you with some questions here. Great, do it. This community is all based in Vegas. All these people that are part of it are based in Vegas or that's just the core? So the core is Vegas. The major- the vast majority is, is Vegas. He works with like 200 plus um, sort of creators. Um, but there are the folks uh, cr- like in other cities. There's a, there's a crop growing in Nashville. Um, there's the sort of a Midwest contingent. But right now he has sort of a few studio spaces and the, most of the community is in Vegas. A lot of folks um, ultimately move there or may come in like once a month for that notes night, which I described, which is when they all get together and kind of analyze all the videos. But definitely the vast majority is in Vegas right now. It might end up changing, but we'll see. 
This is kind of fascinating because it's the type of thing where I never thought about before, but then mm-hmm. within three seconds after you saying it, I'm like, oh, this is the most like no-brainer idea ever to take these entertainers that are getting paid to entertain in front of live audiences yeah. and then just bringing whatever talent they have that they are getting paid for to do in front of those live audiences online in a bunch of different formats and a bunch of different capacities. And also you have to think about I met a guy who used to be the the dude that was shot out of a cannon at like the circus. Like these are people, right? And at yeah. a certain age, like they're not necessarily all, like 20 year olds, right? They're older in a good way, right? But like at a certain point, like they can't be shot out of a cannon anymore. So like they're going to like do something else. And this has been like an amazing second career for a lot of folks. And a lot of people, when, when it really started exploding was COVID because like this one woman I've now met several times was at Cirque du Soleil. She grew up in Barnum and Bailey, Ringling wow. Brothers Circus, like fast. I was like, if somebody asked you where you're from, what do you say? And she's like, well, I was born in Bulgaria, but like literally she was on the road her entire life. Right. But, you know, COVID happens. All the circus, Cirque du Soleil, everything ends. And then they come in and, you know, Rick's like, come join this, you know, uh, network. And she starts doing videos. Then COVID kind of ends and Cirque du Soleil is like, comes calling. And she's like, no, I'm doing better doing this. And now I don't have to travel. She's like, so the first time in my life, she's like, I'm home. And it's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, there's so many stories like that. Dancers, you know, these these are people that like, you know, after a certain period of time, like your body can't do some of these things, right? Or like, it's really hard. You struggle. And so if you can find a community and, you know, do videos online and make money to either, you know, do that full time or supplement, you know, your other sort of career, somebody's a wedding photographer. I mean, I met so many interesting creative people doing this. It's so redundant, but like fascinating what he's built. I feel like we should have Rick on the podcast one day. Rick, here's an open invite for me. If Lauren doesn't give you one. Oh my God. He's, he's the best. He's like a Svengali. Okay, totally. Rick, you'll be on the podcast. Okay, great. And just not to ruin that future episode, but he basically got to start back in what, 2021, orchestrating all these quote, gross food videos to Facebook. I actually met him when I was working at Facebook, um, probably in 2017 or 2018. So he's been been doing this for a while. And he was a magician. He actually has a law degree. I mean, there's like a peeling onion. There's a lot of layers to relax. We can, we'll, we'll ask him all the questions when he comes on. There's this article from May of 2021 that says your least favorite gross viral food videos are all connected to this guy. Whether it's SpaghettiO, pies, or tabletop nachos, everything can be tracked back to literal magician Rick Lax. Mm-hmm. My you know, oldest is into magic and he sent him a magic trick, right? So I film him doing the, the the trick and I send it to Rick and I'm like, here, you know, this is like a few months ago. I was like, oh, this is so sweet. Here you go. He literally sat down in the best possible way and wrote him notes. He like literally oh, wrote me a whole so email awesome. and was like, okay, so I think he needs to hold it this way and whatever. And I was like so touched. It was like, but he can't help himself. He's like, got to give like notes. And, and he was like, so let me know how it goes. I was like, thank you. I'm sure he didn't do it because you were the main person on the deal that was acquiring his company. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's totally just like my personality and like, yeah, 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 no, totally. (laughs) And so he sounds amazing. And then part of these people in his network, there's this one individual, Justin Flom, who has perhaps some of the best shorts content on YouTube of all time, maybe. There's this one short called Dad Fixes Hole in kids' bedroom. Mm-hmm. It has over 330 million views right now. And I discovered this video and I sent it to someone who is incredibly well-versed in YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say who it is because I want to blow up their spot. But 
said that this might be their favorite YouTube video of all time. Really? And if you watch it, the analysis that this person gave of it is incredible. There are things like the hammer is literally beating in sync with the beat. Uh-huh. That's apparently a huge thing on YouTube shorts, especially in short form content in general, to have some motion in the video going along with whatever music is playing. Well, yeah, with regards to the like the hammer and the beat, like this is the type of stuff that they go over together and they figure out. Speaking of the Floms, uh, I sat next to Justin's brother and sister at dinner, Jordan and Janelle Flom, and like, they're amazing. Janelle's actually like an amazing uh, wedding photographer. They're funny. They're interesting. They've been doing this a long time and they've built huge businesses on this. Anyway, I'm so excited about this and I'm so happy we can talk about it now and we're going to go bigger together, get all jelly smack over here. (laughs) I'm very excited. Lauren, congrats. How much did you all pay for it? $20 billion. I'm not saying how much we paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) A bargain at double the price. Bargain at double the price. Um, All right, Josh, we need to get into some other things. Then we have a guest on the show today, Dylan Huey, who is the founder of Reach, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Before we do that, YouTube's make some changes, lowering the barrier to be eligible for its monetization program. So previously, you had to have at least 1,000 subscribers in either 4,000 watch hours in the past year or 10 million shorts views in the last 90 days. Now you only have to have 500 subscribers, three public uploads in the last 90 days, and either 3,000 watch hours in the past year or 3 million shorts views in the last 90 days. Um, What that does is, of course, when you get uh, access to the partner program, you get access to the tipping tools, super thanks, super chat, et cetera. I was trying to understand the implications of this. I'm like, why are they doing this? What happened? Is this sort of meant to affect, you know, and increase the monetization on shorts? But what I'm sort of understanding about this is this is more about people going live on YouTube and giving them more opportunity because it's more about those other tipping tools that they're going to get access to. Josh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, totally. And just to be clear, for you to be able to qualify to be part of the YouTube Partner Program that gives you that 45-55 split in AdSense revenue for the ads displayed on your content, you still have to hit that 1,000 subscriber threshold and that 4,000 hours of yearly watch time or 10 million short views in the last 90 days. Right. These different thresholds are for these smaller upstart creators right. to give them access to these alternative monetization tools on YouTube. And it's specifically for, like you said, these new types of streamers and these people that want to go live on the platform. So there are these other platforms that are known for streaming, predominantly Twitch. But now Twitch has these competitors like Kick and Rumble because lots of the revenue that creators generate on these live streaming platforms are based on subscriptions or tips or direct donations from fans to the creator. So there is a bunch of ad revenue that's generated on Twitch, but that's not the majority of the income that these creators on that platform make. They make it through these subscriptions or brand deals or something else. And so now what YouTube is saying is to smaller creators, hey, we are going to be an incredibly welcoming place for you to get started on your live streaming yeah. career. We want to give you all the tools that all these other different platforms offer in order for you to be able to monetize this content from a very early age in your creator life cycle. And we want to then be your home for the rest of your creator journey. I think this is super smart, especially because there's no downside to YouTube on this. Maybe there are some more policing and kind of like content policy eyeballs that need to get directed at these things. I'm sure that will be a result of this. But Mm -hmm. outside of that, YouTube has really done its best to make it, again, the top of the funnel for creators entering this ecosystem. So did that first with shorts. YouTube needed to really put a stake in the ground and say, hey, we can be a place where creators can come and create really kind of easy short form content that they're doing on these other platforms. 
we can be a place for that too. So you don't need to go to TikTok or Instagram Reels or these other spots. You can come to YouTube. We can be a home for that. And now on the live streaming portion of that too, they're like, yo, come to us early on. We're going to give you all the tools you have on those other places and then continue with us through your whole career, because we also have this long form content option that is going to generate you more reliable, sustainable revenue once you're ready than any other platform in town. Yeah. And I think it's notable also. So they're also expanding some shopping features. Um, like, so they're expanding its shopping affiliate pilot to more creators in the U.S. Um, so creators that are already in the YPP and have more than 20,000 subscribers will be eligible to tag products and videos and shorts and earn a commission. They've partnered with 50 odd brands, including Nordstrom, Sephora, Ulta Beauty, Wayfair, blah, blah, blah. And they're going to announce much more at VidCon, which of course is happening next week. So I, because I, the first one I read this, I was like, I don't understand. Like they, they lower the threshold, but they can't actually do AdSense. And it's like, and then I was digging into this. I'm like, so who's this for? And yes, this is for these sort of live creators, these creators that want to be doing sort of shopping, um, this sort of combination of both. And also to your point, really just get creators at all ends of the spectrum and um, make it a good home for greater starting, which is what YouTube always was and kind of lost its way there. And with shorts in this, we're really getting back there because at the end of the day, what do creators care about? Distribution and monetization. Totally. And YouTube hasn't been creating that many tools that are going to advocate the live shopping nature of the internet that's really popular in Asia that mm-hmm. is to varying degrees getting more popular over here, mm-hmm. depending on which articles you read and if you talk to Max Benader or not. They haven't been aggressively putting out products that's going to facilitate that ecosystem. However, like with everything else, if that comes around, they're going to be incredibly well prepared for it. If they see that as an option, they have a bunch of creators that are selling stuff live on the platform using these different kind of shopping and product tags. They just launched to recently, there's this little view products icon that appears in the player if a creator has tagged products that they're mentioning in the video. And that's different than the shelf or anything else. It actually happens in the video. It's prominent. It kind of makes you want to click. So more and more features, I think, like that will evolve as YouTube sees a bigger and better opportunity in this shopping component of the platform. And this shows you that just like because of the underlying infrastructure that YouTube has with Google, all these different partners, all these different like payment methods, um, accounts receivable, accounts payable, these different relationships with every brand on the planet, they just have the ability to execute on this stuff and facilitate it really quickly. Where like maybe Twitch does with Amazon, but Amazon doesn't really seem to care about Twitch. Why aren't there all these different shopping tabs on Twitch that link directly to Amazon products that if you're a subscriber to the Twitch channel, you get for a discounted fee? I don't know. It makes no sense. It certainly seems like that would be a very obvious integration. Okay, Dylan Huey, welcome to Create Your Upload. We're so excited to have you on. You are the CEO of Reach. Can you tell everybody what Reach is? Yes, Reach is the first and only social media influencer content creator organization at any university. Started at USC. We're now in 25 universities, growing to one or two new universities almost every day right now. So we've been growing. Um, It's a great community for content creators who are on college campus to gain resources, hear from guest speakers, and gain a lot of access to things that could help them as a content creator. Give us more of the nitty gritty. Like, what does it mean? So I want to be a reach. I want to be a content creator. Like, what do I do? And then what am I what am I going to get for that? Yes. Let me start with the application process. In the fall, we had 250 applicants. We only accepted 38 people. So it's a pretty hard club to get into. Like I like to say that it's harder to get into our club than it is to get into USC alone. 
uh, percentage-wise. But um, we have a three-step application process. It's a written application. The first question we ask anyone is, what do you do beyond social media, beyond USE, to make a difference and an impact in your community? And that's something that speaks to me personally because I started social media in 2016. I was getting bullied in middle school and I want to show other people that there's others to relate to them. So I want to use my platform for good and I want to you know, emphasize that importance of using your platform as a vehicle. After that written application, there is a one-on-one -on -one interview with someone on our exec board interviewing applicants. And then lastly, we have a group interview where we bring in a brand. So last semester we brought in NASCAR and we had all of our applicants make a social media campaign around NASCAR and pitch it to NASCAR employees. This is just the application process they're doing all this? Just the application process. Interesting. Uh -huh. So yeah. And then beyond that, you know, then they get accepted. And then we have three big goals in our club and what we do. First, focus on community, content days, collab days, photo shoots, workshops, weekly meetings. Weekly meetings, we bring in A-list celebrities, Allison Stoner, Jabari Banks, to name a few people. Different ways that our club members can come together, learn from each other, collaborate with each other, and really grow. Second big thing that we do is help our club members get a full circle perspective in the social media space. We understand not all of our members want to be creators. 30% of our USC members, 50% of our UCLA members want to be more in the back end, whether that be influencer marketing or digital uh, partnerships, et cetera. So we help with guest speakers, folks groups, beta testing, headquarter tours, networking days, campus ambassador programs, internship opportunities. We help our club members get paid media deals. So we've done deals with DoorDash, Coca-Cola, Puma, to name a few companies. And then the last big thing that we do is help our club members get the tools, resources, partnerships, programs that they can utilize to help them grow as an influencer, as a content creator, as a brand, as an individual. So it's a little bit about us in a nutshell. The 250 creators of the thing for NASCAR, and then how did you get down to 38? Okay, so the written application, we had 250 people. We went from 250 to about 80. We interviewed 80 people on a one-on-one -on -one interview. From there, we went to 38. We had those 38 people for the group interview. And that's how they got in. Oh my gosh, fascinating. So is it, th this is more of a club than like a, a, a business? Like, are you guys monetizing this? Are you guys making money off of this? It's a great question. Well, universities aren't letting us make money because they have rules as a recognized student organization. Um, so we are about to file as a 501c7. So we're about to be a nonprofit. What's a C7? I, I know C3. What's a C7? It's what all the fraternities and sororities are set up as. Got it. You know, we want to just have access and be able to provide the resources to our members. So workshops and educational resources are something that's super important for us. So right now we're not monetizing, but members, you know, get access to brand deals. Um, and we partner with a lot of brands to do collaborative events. So we did an event with Playboy where our members went to the Playboy headquarters, got free clothes, et cetera. And that's how we are able to support our events and what we do. Got it. This was obviously created based on a need, right? Like I'm assuming you you didn't feel like the universities were kind of like had an answer for this. So what do you think universities sort of, what does this look like in 10 years? We've talked a lot about this in this podcast of like the first film school, I believe was USC. And it was thought as this like crazy idea, right? But it was created because of the movie studios needing to train folks to be a part of this fledgling industry. And so I feel like we're in a little bit of the same kind of moment and time. You've got Beast doing East Carolina University. Like we need to train folks, like you said, not necessarily to be you know in front of the camera, behind the camera to learn how to do this. So is this kind of where this came from? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's starting to be more and more influencer content creator focused classes but there still aren't that many and i think the hesitation from a lot of universities is the fact that the 
economy, the creator economy, it's still so new that it changes every few months. And with that comes the need for them to have to change curriculum. So if they developed a course right now, this semester, it'd probably just be completely scraped next year and have have to be redone. So we're the solution for those universities to have access to these educational resources and um, you know things that they can provide students um, with access to so that they can get their students involved with the creator economy, which is a billion dollar industry. Um, so we wanna make sure that we're providing for our members in that capacity. And uh, I think it's an interesting direction. I think a lot more universities are going to start seeing that the creator space is a viable career and that they should be providing opportunities for those students. So we wanna be just a voice um, for these students to start getting in tune with the current times. So Dylan, you said you are adding universities at what, a rate of one to two a day, one to two a week? Yeah, one to two a day, honestly. That's incredible. And is there any relationship between the types of universities that you're bringing on board or does it run the gamut? I think right now we're really focusing on the university that do have a lot of creators. Um, university of Miami, Florida State University. Um, today we're meeting with Harvard and Yale, so Ivy Leagues. Um, but all of the universities right now that we've been talking to are top tier universities. Um, we have UPenn, Penn State, Cal, Stanford, um, Syracuse, Columbia, to list a few. And I have to mention there's a criteria, much like you are vetting your creators. Like what's the criteria to add? A, like you gotta get somebody to manage this. You can't you can't be at all these places, right? <laughs> so all of these are recognized student organizations. So when I brought up fraternity at the beginning, it really is a fraternity model where we have the national organization. I'm the CEO of the national organization. And then we have individual chapters that are recognized student organizations across these campuses that are ran by students. So we are looking for students um, at different universities who are passionate about social media, influencers, influencer marketing, and working alongside them to really build a team. What's great is, you know, my national organization, I have four other people on my team, and we're talking with all of our chapters every single day to make sure that they're taken care of. They know how to start a chapter. They know how to launch it, how to find the right people. Um, because for us, us, the the brand as reach is something that's really important for us as well and to make sure that we're maintaining this exclusivity amongst all these different universities. Have you gotten any pushback at any higher ups from any of these colleges or universities or is it just basically an informational session? Universities haven't even reached out to us um, about anything and USC doesn't do that much in terms of talking to us and we, we're treated as every other recognized student organization across these different campuses, whether that be good or whether that be bad. So when you say you're meeting with Harvard and Yale this week, what does that mean you're meeting with them? We're meeting with students to start leading a chapter. Um, administrations don't need to be in charge of a student organization. So we're meeting with students to lead the movement of bringing reach on their campus. Got it. That makes sense. Now, are you still in school right now? Well, summer right now, but I'm going to be a senior. Do you imagine like you're going to continue on with this even after you graduate and kind of blow this up even more? Like, what does this look like after you graduate, right? 100%. What's great is I set myself up to have a full-time job post-college, which I yeah. think is every student's dream. Yeah. Uh, I brought my best friend from middle school and high school. He is now my COO. Um, and, you know, we have a really good goal in the next five years to be able to launch REACH beyond um, potentially in the same trajectory as what 
Facebook is doing. So that it feels up. very early Facebook to me. I'm like, gosh, I can't yeah. help but think that. Um, very interesting. On that note, is there like technology platform plans, things like that? I have to imagine um, that's you've got to be thinking that, right? I'm from Silicon Valley, so tech is in uh, my DNA. My mom uh, helped launch the original Sonic the Hedgehog oh. and Xbox Live, and my dad was the CFO of Sega for over 20 years. So I definitely have. A lot of experience in the tech space um, and all of that. So it's it's definitely the works. Do you have some like old school Segas at your house? <laughs> I have everything. Um, it, what's funny is I was supposed to meet um, Stanley the week he died. Um, for the first time, I was supposed to meet him, but he's been family friends with my parents. So our garage is filled with comic books signed by Stanley. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you should give a quick behind the scenes tour of that in some type of video produced through Reach or something or other. We're working on shows and stuff like that and a studio venture. Okay, talking to a couple of people who graduated college anywhere between a few years and a few decades ago, what would be the most surprising thing you could let those people know about the people you deal with, about content creators who are between the ages of like 17 and 22 right now? I think it's interesting because I think previously, especially when I started social media and I've been in social media since 2016, and I, this was the same for traditional media. Um, a lot of actors, a lot of influencers, once they started getting a rhythm and starting to be successful, a lot of them would drop out of university, of high school. I know that happened for a lot of my friends. But for us, I really see the value of being able to go to school as well as being a creator at the same time. And I don't think they inhibit on each other. And I think that that's what Reach is really trying to prove is that you can do so many different things all at once. You know, we have the youngest American girl climb Mount Everest in our club and we have an Emmy winning actress and we have someone who makes six figures selling charcuterie boards and all of them are also students pursuing things full time. So what makes us really unique is while our members are students, and they're content creators. They're also very individual and doing their own very unique thing. And they're an expert in something. And I think that that's what puts us really in a unique place. But beyond that, I think a lot of brands are also just seeing the value of being able to tap into Gen Z and college students. And for a lot of brands, we're the go-to market because we have college students. We also have influencers who are vocal and have an audience. So we've seen a lot of trajectory on that side, which is amazing. That's so cool. I love it. All right. Where can people go to learn more? Our website is uscreach.com for a USC chapter. Our national website is reachnatl.com. So reach national. And my socials is at Rod and Flash, R-O-D-I-N-F-L-A-S-H. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dylan. We're excited to see where this goes. Of course. Thank you so much. It was great chatting with both of you. Thanks, Dylan. Josh, any uploads or downloads? Lauren, one real quick one from the D'Amelio Empire. So they are reportedly planning to launch a $20 million talent management venture called Damn Good MGMT. I like how everyone just does MGMT. It's way cooler, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. What, are you going to use vowels in there? No. Put MGMT no. down. No. Are our children even going to know what vowels are? Go on. <laughs> no. No. So reportedly, the D'Amelios are teaming up with music industry upstart Firebird to launch the venture. Uh, Damn Good would be one part of Firebird's overall mission. This is from the Two Filler article. The well-funded startup wants to help artists find opportunities across multiple media and platforms, including film, TV, gaming, apparel, beauty, food, and beverages. Our focus is on growing the entire revenue pie for an artist, not just a single income stream, Firebird CEO Nathan Hubbards told the Wall Street Journal. 
In total, Firebird has raised $400 million from a list of backers, including Goldman Sachs, Pritzker Organization. And now this $20 million would be set aside to establish damn good management. I think this is interesting and just like the latest in the overall trend of established creators establishing management firms, whether it's the D'Amelios or Mr. Ballin or... Rhett and Link, just setting aside some dough to invest into new creators and helping them on the creator journey that they all trailblazed. I mean, I think this is absolutely, um, doesn't seem like, it's not a shock to me at all. I feel like, um, also, you know, having heard his, you know, her parents speak, I mean, they have a ton of ambitions in terms of expanding their empire. And, you know, I was reading something like 80% plus of their, you know, their dollars do not come from like any sort of AdSense or anything like that. So, they have diversified in a way that is um, pretty incredible. And uh, yeah, I am. I think this is really exciting. Yeah, they're reportedly taking the annual income of about $30 million a year. And this has got me thinking, though, why hasn't this happened in like traditional celebrity world? All these different celebrities, they go on and they create production companies, right? How come no one creates a talent management firm? Is it just because it's so entrenched there already? I think so. It's not not saturated in our world, but it's... Um, I think a little bit less so. And I think that like you can position yourself as, as somebody who like really understands what it is to be a creator. I also think a lot of creator managers are like best friends and like my child, whatever. It's it's a little bit less sophisticated. It's not that doesn't exist in a sort of quote unquote traditional Hollywood, but it's it's a little yeah. different. But yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's so weird. That happens in music yeah. where like Usher gets big and then partners with Scooter Braun to sign Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen in traditional entertainment in forms of like actors and actresses. Interesting. I don't know. Good question. All right, Josh, we got to go next. Um, you are going to be at VidCon next week. I will not be there. I'm so excited to hear all about it. I will be cheering you on, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be on the main stage. I know. Just That's weeping you should be. You're not next to me um, there might be a little virtual um, something of me on the main stage. So, you know. Just look out for that little Easter egg. Like an avatar? Like, don't worry. <laughs> maybe just a, maybe just a video of me. Like, yeah, <laughs> they spend millions of dollars to get Lauren Schnipper yes. out on stage as yes. a virtual avatar. That's yes. incredible. Yes. So I'm looking you know, forward to it. Good. Great. Um, so, you know. There will still be a regularly scheduled episode of Creator Upload next week, so don't miss it. And Lauren, yes. if we don't see you up on stage, we'll see you in a couple weeks when you're back. Have fun in Greece. Two weeks on Creator Upload. In two weeks on Creator Upload. Thank you for the help. Today's show was produced by Lauren Schnipper and Joshua Cohen. Hey, that's me. It's edited by Jason King. And original music is by London Bridge, who you can check out on Instagram at London Bridge Music. Make sure you subscribe to Creator Upload really wherever you're listening to this thing. While you're there, give us a rating, leave us a comment. If you want to talk, hit us up at info at creatorupload.com. If you like our show, please recommend it to a friend if you love it. Recommend it to everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week.